Hi, this is James Joachim, host of Webcomics Reviews and Interviews. Today we're looking at toxicity, so sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. First off, be aware that we are going to be hitting a lot of mature subject matter. Please plan accordingly. That said, we need to sort of realize as writers that what we write has a lot of power. And we need to sort of recognize that occasionally we tend to forget that. This is why whenever we put something on the printed page, we need to recognize that it may have an effect bigger than we think it does. This is sort of why we need to recognize you know, things like the hero's journey, symbolism. Where are we at trying to take this and what kind of themes are we dealing with? Because you're going to find out really quick that sometimes you'll hit the right person at the right time with the right word and it changes their life. Of course, there's also the problem of it hitting the wrong person at the wrong time with the wrong word and changing everybody else around them's lives. But, you know, just for the proof that what we do has a certain level of power. In a lot of ways, we're like that magician running around with uh, speaking some sort of Latin Vulgate and finding out that accidentally we're letting loose fireballs and demons. Just we need to recognize that what we say does have a certain level of power. I sort of point this out because we're sort of hitting a really weird situation when it comes to equality on a lot of levels. That is, we're hitting some really weird situations when it comes to certain different types of toxicity. The obvious one everybody knows about is obviously toxic masculinity. That is, where guys basically learn all the wrong lessons when they're kids and they have to figure out ways to deal with them later on. You know, when you were told at six that you there's no crying, that you need to hold it in, that you need to deal with the pain in such a way that it's not obvious, you know, you have to suck it up and walk it off. That's probably not the best solution further on down the road. A father telling his son that he shouldn't be wearing a dress or makeup or fingernail polish. That's another wrong lesson. The son should be allowed to wear whatever he wants, as long as he's not harming anybody else. You know, that should be the only thing he should be worried about. If he's not harming anybody else, then he should be allowed to do reasonably whatever he wants to do. Eventually, he will figure it, the kid will figure it out. We have to allow them the freedom to do so. And sometimes, as we know through history, obviously, sometimes people will do weird things and actually turn out to be the best person there. Uh, just look at how weird John Lennon was as a kid. And without Lennon's words, the, word be a, the world would be a much more miserable place. So, however, we have to recognize that people are people and that people are flawed in their own weird ways. That is, just because something looks like it's not going to work out doesn't always mean it will be in. Sometimes there can be an equal backlash in the other direction. That sort of makes us question if we actually did the right thing. What we're going to be looking at tonight is a lot of the toxicity from the other direction. Yeah, I know it's a jerk thing to do, but it's something we need to explore. We need to explore the ramifications of actions. And we need to basically keep in mind that just because we think we're going down the right path that we're 
you know, we got all these really cool, good intentions and lollipop dreams and we've thinking unicorns. Sometimes that can lead to some very dark places. We know this in history. You know? You had a guy trying to basically save his country from the brink of economic ruin. That guy was Adolf Hitler. We had other people trying to save their country from, you know, too much the rich people that were poisoning the world. Stalin and Mao. So, I'm not trying, to obviously, to point out that everybody trying to go along with good intentions is going to become a major force of death and destruction. Sometimes you have some people who actually do end up being some really great people. Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, Mary Curry, so on and so forth. You've got a lot, most people out there with good intentions, you end up actually doing some really great things. But we need to recognize that occasionally in attempting to do the right thing, we tend to overstep just a little bit. And when we do overstep, bad things happen. Again, this goes back to we have power. People may not recognize it. We are the plankton of the TV world, for example. But we do nonetheless have a certain degree of power that we can use. And it's something you need to realize that sometimes it can be accidentally used for evil. And of course, if it's being purposely used for evil, well, that's an entirely different thing. But you need to recognize that occasionally the best intentions do lead to a very dark and nasty place. So let's look at some of those other types of toxicity just to see exactly where these good intentions unfortunately lead. And don't worry, I'll be looking at some times when those good intentions actually panned out in really great ways. But let's look at the nasty ways first, okay? Ghostbusters 2016 is, well, right now the best example, unfortunately. Specifically, you had this really great idea, let's take Ghostbusters, give it a female twist, and have some fun with it. Unfortunately... Yeah, it didn't work out too well. The two big problems you had were, first off, you had a very definite toxic issue. You basically had... See, here's the problem. In the original Ghostbusters, there's no question there was a lot of equality between the various characters. That is, when Dana and Venkman started dating, the two of them were pretty much equal. In fact, I can actually argue that Dana was at a higher level of success. After all, she had a swinky apartment. She was in the top stories of that swinky apartment. And she was a very strong female. Janine, same situation. Very competent secretary. Yeah, she was fiercely... Uh, uh, sorry. She was definitely what you call fiercely attractive. It's just she was definitely an elemental force unto herself. However... She was still able to do her job. Even no matter how incredibly attractive and great she was, she nonetheless was a professional at her job and then some. When the guys needed something done, she did it. She went above and beyond board, and she basically kicks a major butt. Straight up, there's absolutely no question that without Janine, the Ghostbusters would not have been any kind of success by the end of the movie and would have definitely been in major straights if she hadn't stepped up every so often. 
So yeah, you've got two incredibly powerful women in Ghostbusters, even though we associate it as being a guy movie. Dana and Janine were still incredibly powerful characters within that. On top of that, Winston started off as being the stereotypical magic black man. That is, the guy that was supposed to be there to provide the common sense anchor to allow the other three to basically do whatever they wanted. Which is more or less how it started off. However, by the end of this movie, you had a really great situation that the three scientists were all of a sudden had that level of common sense and were able to operate with regular people just that Winston was supposed to give them the ability to do. However, unlike a regular magic black man, you where he basically would come in, provide all the answers, and disappear, you had the situation where he was on equal footing with the other guys. Think about that for a second. When Winston said something... He had to do it as part of a chorus. He wasn't doing it as a, you know, I am the voice of authority, you shall do what I say. No, he was coming in and actually acting as part of a chorus of basically the guys. You know, he'd offer the common sense reproach. You'd have Venkman offered, we're screwed, unless things happen. And you'd have the other two guys basically do all the scientific analysis. Between the four of them, you were able to conquer pretty much any situation. There's absolutely no question that the six characters as a whole, and yeah, I'm looking at the four Ghostbusters, including Winston, I'm looking at Dana, I'm looking at Janine as a total of six characters. And between those six characters, there was some definite equality going on. And then you hit 2016 Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You had the secretary being hired specifically because of his abs. Or his chest. Or his hair. Or his eyes. It pretty much changed from scene to scene. The bottom line is, he wasn't hired because of what he could do. He was hired because of what he was. And what he was was an incredibly attractive fashion model. The guy had absolutely no secretarial skills. The guy was just there literally as eye candy. There was absolutely no question of that. Straight up. If this had been a normal company, those four women, actually let me rephrase that, those three women because you had one that was just simply there to blow things up. The other three women would have been fired due to sexual harassment within a week. Tops. Of course, the secretary would have gone too, but the bottom line I'm trying to basically point out here is that whereas we have a definite equality in between everybody in the first movie, in the second movie, and yeah, I know it's not the second movie, but just go with me on that, okay? In the next movie, you had the situation where the women were just treating the guy as a piece of meat. And I just can't see that happening with Janine. If that happened with Janine, she would have had their, well... She would have basically had a very full jar, is all I'm going to say, and I'm going to leave it at that. You also had the problem that the way the, the original Ghostbusters dealt with race was to essentially ignore it. Yeah, Winston was hired, obviously, because he was the token black. There's no question of that. The question, though, is whether or not he has stayed on as the token black or if he became a fully integrated part of the team. And yeah, there's no question, like you said, in the movie, he was definitely part of the team. He was part of the chorus. This is opposed to the other version, where you had absolutely no problem with people breaking 
the rhythm in order to make some sort of anti-racist commentary. You know? And nine times out of ten, when you see somebody do a crowd dive and the crowd disperses and the person falls flat on their butt right in the middle of everybody, it's funny. You know? It is arguably one of the top ten easiest jokes to pull off. And Leslie Jones flubbed it. She took everybody out of the picture to make to basically point out that basically, yeah, you would have caught, you know, what, you couldn't catch a black woman? Seriously. Is there any, just, there's any other reaction than taking you right out of the movie right then and there? And that's not the only time she did it. It's like every time she said something, nine times out of ten, the movie would have to stop right there for her to have her moment. And once you do that kind of stuff, the movie's going to die. Hey, guess what? So, you just had a really weird situation where you had the women who were trying for an equality issue by basically being worse than guys ever were. And it just didn't work. I can't figure out why. Then there was the 10th season of Will and Grace. Don't get me wrong, Will and Grace is an incredible show. When they do things well, they can be as irritating as they possibly want to, but it's going to eventually come out really well. You know, it's, the punchlines are there. Even if just plain weird as Karen, Karen is, she still tends to work out really well. You know, she's got the right amount of empathy and psych, psychopathy, psychopathy, ah. She's got that really nice, she's right on the edge of where she needs to be. Even Jack, who can be annoyingly Jack, still is exactly the character they need for nine times out of ten. The only problem is that occasionally they go well beyond it. I mean, there are just some times when Jack is just way too much. And I know it sounds sort of weird, but I'd really like to see just once... It's just, I, when, see, here's the problem. I'm a child of the 80s. We had shows like 30-something where you had gay characters, but they were, and they had sex on screen, and, you know, you'd see them in bed in the morning with their male lovers, or female lovers, depending on the situation. But it was just, I mean, it's really funny that it wasn't as much in your face as it was with when Jack did it. It's just sometimes he was way too over the top. And I know that's sort of weird to look at, but I think what I'm basically having a problem with is I'm seeing way too many gay characters that are in your face saying, hey, you know, I'm queer, I'm here, and don't ignore me. That needs to be balanced out just a little bit, I think. You know? Obviously, with Jack, he needs to be a flamboyant character, don't get me wrong. But it's when you start seeing those character traits over-infecting Will. And, you know, Will needs to be a little bit more... I want to say straight, and I know how that's going to sound. But him and Jack need to be maintained two separate characters. And sometimes... Will just goes too much over and too much tries to be too much in your face. Don't get me wrong, sometimes that's needed. But 
sometimes it's just a little too much. That needs to be balanced out just a little bit better. Comics-wise, obviously, the analogy would be with uh, the current version of Iceman. You know, when you basically have an entire subplot that has absolutely nothing to do with the main story just to show that the character is gay, there's something wrong with that subplot. Obviously, I'm not trying to say that don't include gay characters. Hardly, that's definitely not what I'm trying to say here. All I'm trying to say is if you are going to have gay characters, you know, have a flamboyant character if you need to, but not all gay characters are ultra flamboyant. You know, they're not in your face. There's Sometimes you need to have that question whether or not the character is gay or not. That actually does tend to work out really well, believe it or not. And I'd really like to see it a little bit more. Netflix just recently released a movie called Rim of the World. I'm going to save you a lot of time and I'm going to basically say do not watch it. The basic problem is, is that it should have been released, done up as a college sex comedy. If it had done that, you know, even with the sci-fi backing, it would have been incredible. But instead what they decided to do is they decided to try to do it as a kid movie. And unfortunately, they apparently kept 90% of the comedy or the lines from the college sex comedy. Yeah, I know, it's probably intended originally as a kid's movie and they decided to spice up the dialogue a little bit. But straight up, when I've got a 12-year-old kid that's basically looking to slam um, tequila shots off the back of a bikini-clad bottom, I have issues with this. It's just it comes off really, really bizarre. That's not the kind of thing I expect to hear from a 12-year-old. And when it does come out of a 12-year-old, yeah, you know that record scratch noise? That's exactly what I hear. But that's not the problem here. Neither is the 20-minute long Adidas commercial. Yeah, we're running from a big bad creature. We need to be over at this other location yesterday. But we're going to take a break to change out of our clothes, put on Adidas clothing, and dance around for a good montage. Yeah, it's just... uh. The problem here is that you've got two basic situations going on. The first is, you've got a black character who does the step and fetch it right off the bat. For those who are not aware of step and fetch it, we're talking basically a minstrel type character who is basically trying to... It was basically a black character making fun of black culture for the white people. Arguably one of the top ten most racist situations historically. And it's straight up, you had this guy doing it specifically, and he even mentions it, that he's doing it specifically because it's what people expect. Straight up. You should never have a character who's acting as people expect him to react, uh, to basically be. Yeah, it's just... It comes off as abrasive, it comes off as annoying, and that's the first character you want to see die in the Holocaust. Straight up. If you're going to have a character act that way, have him act that way because he's naturally that way. Uh, Now you're going to be wanting to watch that movie just for the first 15 minutes. Sorry about that. Yeah, the character is that bad. He's like every possible racist stereotype of a black man wrapped up into one camp counselor package. And he's doing it because he 
recognize that everybody expects him to act that way. Seriously? Straight up, if you're going to do a... If, if the whole movie was nothing but political statements, it would have possibly worked. But because there is no context for a political statement within that particular movie, it falls flat. Plus, if that wasn't bad enough, we have the four kids each represent the stereotype of their race. You've got the white brainy kid. You've got the Chinese athletic brainy kid. You've got the black oversexed gangster wannabe. And, of course, you've got the Mexican I'm a juvenile delinquent character. And on top of that is... The takeaway here is that, yes, you should have you know, a definite diversity of races in a situation, especially if we're talking a summer camp. But, don't be stupid about it. Don't make them stereotypes of their particular groups. Okay? It's just, we should be beyond that by now, and yet you still see it happening all the time. It's got to stop sometime, folks. And while we're at it, let's make fun of Blackish. It's a great show, don't get me wrong, except that five minutes of every show tends to kill the rest of the show. Yeah, you've got some great acting, you've got some incredible humor, you've got some really great, you know, everything is incredible except for you just simply have some really weird stuff going on as far as the racial stuff goes. And yeah, I know that's the entire point of Blackish, but they're starting to hit a point where it's just falling apart somehow, and I can't really define it. The other problem is you've got some definite toxic masculinity going on with Dre and Junior. I mean, it's sort of like you've got Junior as a great kid. You think he's a nurturer, so on and so forth. But at the same time, he's being downgraded by everybody in the family because of that. It's just, yeah, I get the point and all that is just at some point yeah I'm sorry there's no way to defend it by any stretch of the imagination I'm trying to don't get me wrong but you've had something going on for like what is it five seasons now and Junior's constantly being looked down upon and that's got to stop at some point he's a great kid he's got to be recognized at this for some point and I really wish he would of course, Blackish also has a problem that relies way too much on sitcom logic. You know, that situation where it applies really great and it's logic of the sitcom is there, but straight up, I'd love to see Charlie disappear from the show. It's just, he doesn't really add anything at this point. Originally he did, but now it's just, all he's there for is to basically show up, do a couple of jokes, and disappear from the rest of the series. So... It's just there's a lot of weirdness in Blackish, and I'm not really sure where to even begin. Just keep in mind that it's there, and it's just that you've got the worst example of toxic masculinity there on any sitcom I can think of with what's going on with Junior. Poor guy. It'd also be sort of nice to see a lot of toxic femininity disappear from a lot of TV shows. Basically, if you want the prime example of this, the absolute worst example, Mommy Dearest back in the 1980s. 
Joan Crawford biopic where she's basically abusive to everybody around her. She's extremely controlling. If her daughter doesn't do whatever she wants, exactly how she wants it, well, she gets beat by wire coat hangers. You know, that's where the, the dreaded frames of no coat hangers came out. You just had a very toxic woman who needed to be in total control over everything. And it just didn't work out that well for everybody around her. The problem is that you're starting to see this show up a lot in a lot of sitcoms, as well as a lot of dramas. That is, you've got the one person who's supposed to be the heroine of the situation, but she acts more like the big bad mastermind villain, you know? She's got to be in total control of everybody's lives around her. She's got to, if she doesn't like you, she will destroy you versus via the rumor mill. <clears throat> or she'll find some way to set your life on a very nasty spiral. And that's something that's just starting to get way too out of hand. The current example is Zoe from Grownish. Uh, so we just had two episodes where she had this one guy that she was interested in way back when in the first season. And all of a sudden, she won't let anybody go out with that guy in her, her from her immediate circle because there's a possibility she might be interested in the guy. And if your current boyfriend... Uh, ever breaks up with her, hey, she's got somebody she can go back to. Does that sound like a healthy relationship to anybody? Or should basically the people around her be able to go out with whoever they want to as long as it's not directly her current boyfriend? You know? It's just she's got way too much control over the people around her and it was sort of nice to see her realize that, And but it's a ongoing theme with her, it seems like. It's just straight up. It's a really weird situation that where you've got the so-called Mary Sue of the show is basically way too much control of everybody else's lives around her. And that doesn't work out even in Japanese animation. Eventually that does create some serious conflicts and it always creates serious conflicts. The only difference is that it usually girl stays in charge. So I would just like to see a lot less of the I'm the scheming supervillain, but everybody thinks I'm the hero type. If you see a lot less of that, it'd be great. However, just as we have toxic examples, we also have some really great examples going on there. Uh, Static, from the Static Shock Show. Say that five times fast, I dare you. At any rate, you've got a really great situation between Richie and Virgil. You've got two characters that do see each other as equal, even though there's a definite power disadvantage for Rich, on Richie's side. I mean, sure, he's got the brains and eventually gains the ability to control tech, but, you know, that's nothing compared to Virgil's control of electromagnetism. Nonetheless, you've got a situation where you've got a really great uh, middle-class family situation going on. You know, you've got... Some, Virgil's actually a not afraid to use his academics. The bottom line is is that instead of having the standard black sitcom situation where you've got race is a major proponent of the situation, you've got this really cool situation where it's still part of the overall context, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, it's just part of the context. It's not necessarily the driving force of the character. 
Which is sort of cool because you don't really see that in a whole lot of black shows. You know, don't get me wrong. It's nice to see the racial issues and all that pop up every so often. The takeaway here is have conflicts that are intrinsic to the character, sure. But don't go too overboard with it. You know, if you make every episode about the person's race or or some other quality intrinsic to that character, all you're going to end up doing is alienating your audience. That's just something you need to avoid. Like you said, have it come up every so often, but don't get crazy with it. You notice how I'm going a little crazy with it just to prove the point? Yeah. Just something to consider. Also, let's look at the boondocks, just because. We want to look at the deconstruction of the overall black stereotype. Boondocks is about as good as it's going to get. You've got two really over-the-top characters, Huey and Riley, who tend to do a lot of really weird stuff, even along for the fact that they're in a cartoon. And that's sort of the point. Sort of the same with Black Dynamite. You've got a definite black situation going on, but at the same time, they don't allow the characters to worry about it too much. Yeah, it shows up a lot. Um, Heck, you even have the classic Martin Luther King Jr. episode. So, you're definitely seeing that race is a definite part of the boondocks, just as it is part with the Black Dynamite show. But, they're trying to basically reach universal truth through it, as well as demonstrate how to solve the problem. And I think that's sort of a nice twist compared to some of how a lot of other shows and movies do it, where they keep coming over, you know, hitting you over the head with a two-by-four of there's definitely a problem out there, but they don't actually show how to solve the problem. In fact, a lot of times they actually make the problem worse. Yeah, we get that there's a problem. That's not a problem question here. The question is, how do we go to the next level? How do we start solving these problems? You know, it's just you've got a lot of shows that have no problem hitting you continuously. That yes, there's a problem here. What the problem is? Here's another way the problem expresses itself, etc., etc. You're right. You're supposed to have some sort of imagination. Start showing it off. You know, if you constantly come across all these various problems, start showing how the problems should be solved, or at least in some level. You know. If you hit the same problem, same variation of a problem, and it's like the third show in a row, then again, all you're basically doing is you're just basically redoing the same show over and over. Uh, eventually, people are going to get tired of the show, and you're probably not going to get much of a job after that, unless they really happen to like how you did it. So, like you said, you're a writer. Show some imagination. Figure out a solution to the problems you have your characters going through. And actually figure out occasionally how to solve it on a permanent basis. Yeah, it doesn't mean every life, every problem in life needs to be solved. Not every show needs to be a 30-minute sitcom where it's like, hey, we know what the problem is introduced. We have a funny couple of gags about it and then it's solved. You don't have to do that. But it does help, help if you do it every so often. Yeah, it's, have some fun with it. Quit trying to show that there's a thousand and one problems. Start showing there's a thousand and one solutions. Straight up, that's one of the reasons Boondocks is such a great show. Is that, yeah, you constantly see the same problems being presented 
every so often. But at the same time, you see solutions to these problems being presented as well. And sometimes, yeah, they tend to be a little bit over the top and they tend to be a little silly. Uh, We won't talk about the plot to kidnap Oprah. But the basic gist of the situation is Boondocks is a really great universe where they have a lot of really great fun. They have some really, they you know carry things over even if it's a cartoon. At the same time, every once in a while they do solve problems, and that's that's an example you need to emulate. At least think about it, you know. Hey, it wouldn't be me if I didn't do something really weird. So what I'm going to do is point out that Conan is actually probably. Worst example of toxic masculinity you'll ever see. Yeah. Worst example of. You've got a lot of people that basically see the the big strong alpha male who obviously has to be a major jerk when it comes to women. Well, reality check when it comes to Conan. He treats everybody like a jerk. He hates everybody. Heck, even his God he hates. You know? He hates everybody on a weak, equal basis. It's, he doesn't just, you know, he doesn't just hate women. He hates guards. He hates tax collectors. He hates nobles. He hates poor people. And he likes expressing this hatred through mass death. It's just what he does. On top of that, if you actually read the stories and all that, what's sort of interesting is that he never rapes a woman. He's always through, you know, there's always a consent factor there. He either lets her take control of the situation like he did with Bolit, or he will definitely back off if the woman has no interest in him. If the woman shows an interest and it's decided to be mutual, he will proceed. But notice that he's basically making sure that there's consent. Sometimes he'll even make double or triple sure that there's consent going on. And only after that's established is that he proceed to go to the full-on act. So, as weird as I know, we tend to think of Conan as this big, rapacious Hulk. He does tend to treat women rather nicely, all things considered, considering, like I said, he pretty much hates everybody. He's even been known to conquer his innate racism. And trust me, as a Chimerian, there's a lot there. But that doesn't help that the Chimerians are pretty much uh, tracked down in killed by pretty much everybody in the area. There's a reason they moved up to the north where nobody else was interested in. That's the only place they could find that people didn't track them down and kill them. There's sort of a problem when you happen to be the biggest, baddest MFs on the planet and, you know, everybody wants to see you dead. You either basically hire yourself out as mercenaries, like the Chimerians do, or you move to an area that nobody else wants to be like they did. Admittedly, I have yet to see any Chimerian that is really happy about the situation. But, the bottom line here is, you know, Conan has actually been able to deal with the fact that he has a little bit of a race issue. At one point, he had, you know, he's automatically judging picks to be evil savages, and he kept going at this until he was shown differently. At which point he actually hits the point where he not only helps the Picts, but he actually becomes an adopted brother into the tribe. 
yeah, you've actually got a little bit of character growth there. He actually figures out a way to become friends with the very people he actually hates. Okay, so all of a sudden he's not hating them as much. But, you know, you still have a situation where you've got this big guy who's total racist who's no, who is willing to adapt his way of thinking. And he's actually proven to do this on quite a bit. And above all else, Conan has absolutely no problem treating everybody as an equal. Admittedly, this is because he wants to see everybody equally dead. But, you know, he does nonetheless not tend to judge people as being weaker than he is just because they obviously are weaker. When you basically you can toss around Buicks, it's a really hard to basically say that you aren't the strongest person in the room. But the fact that he's treating everybody else, he doesn't trust anybody, and just because you happen to be a woman, he does not see that person as weaker. Which I think is sort of an interesting point. I mean, straight up, in none of the stories do you see him treating women as total inferiors. Social inferiors, sure, but, you know, everybody's pretty much a social inferior to the guy. There's a difference between uh, treating somebody differently because, well, you don't really care about other people uh, versus being a sexist about it. So, yeah, the guy doesn't mind having sex, but then again, neither do the women he tends to hang around. So it works out pretty well for the guy. And yeah, so, yeah, Conan is not exactly the end-all, be-all example of male toxicity that people tend to make him out to be. Just something to consider. There's a lot that's really done well with the character. And the fact I think the character would survive in modern era. In fact, there's a lot of times when the character has been put into the modern era that he ends up doing pretty well for himself. As long as you recognize it, like you said, he does tend to hate pretty much everybody and pretty much shows. He's willing to treat pretty much every piece of walking dead meat as equal to every other piece of walking dead meat. He's equal opportunity killer that way. I didn't say Conan didn't have some issues. I just said he was a bad example. So, here's sort of the takeaway for the night. When it comes down to it, you need to sort of recognize that you as a writer do have a certain power. You basically are writing things down. You're writing the scripts, so on and so forth. You have the ability to make a difference. And you need to recognize that you do have that power. But you need to recognize that sometimes, even though you're trying to do the very best, you may go down into some really weird, dark areas. You know? You may make a gay character too obviously gay. There's a reason they point out that gaydar does not work. Because nine times out of ten, a gay person is just like everybody else. You can't really tell just based on, you know, relatively things like dress or how they act or how they talk. That person is necessarily gay. And to treat everybody who does act those particular ways as gay is in and of itself a problem. Everybody should be allowed to act however they want to act. And not everybody who acts flamboyant is necessarily gay. By the same token, realize that just because you're trying to basically encourage women to be liberated, that you have to avoid making them into Mary Sue's. That is, they have to have limits. They can't always all be the best, powerful, 
person in the room. You know? They can't be master of all the skills that everybody around them has mastered. Otherwise, they're just trying to figure out why this person is actually in the room. Occasionally, you will have that person has personality conflicts that need to be dealt with. But the person needs to actually evolve. Not just simply decide that, hey, this time around I, I'll try to tamp down that personality issue. But it'll eventually come back up to the fore. That's sort of a problem you start seeing a lot of sitcoms. These characters simply don't evolve over time. And if you're really into, you really want to have some serious fun with characters, you've got to allow them to evolve. You've got to allow them to grow. You've got to allow them to basically be actual living, breathing entities. You know, if you basically keep coming back to the same scenarios or variations on that scenarios, you know, it's just going to be extremely boring over time. And that's a pattern I'm starting to see. Above all, don't assign, you know, where a person is on the good evil axis based on what it basically amounts to secondary characteristics. Otherwise, you're creating just as much a problem as the one you're trying to solve. You know, like to point out with Conan, yeah, the guy's a big white guy alpha male, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he treats women bad. It doesn't mean he, you know, he's a total jerk. Well, okay, yeah, he is. But relative to the situation, he's actually got reasons for the stuff he does. That's one of the reasons the character works out so well. Yeah, everybody has a murder fantasy, and Conan is pretty much the epitome of that. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not going to call something that it isn't. But the stereotype with Conan is that he's treated as a total barbarian. This is a guy who actually comes out and ends up ruling a kingdom or two. And that's something you need to sort of keep in mind here. Is that, yeah, Conan does have some severe issues. But, he does treat women equally. He does go ask for consent. He definitely has an honor code. And yeah, he might be a racist, but he has been known to overcome that flaw. So, you know, don't automatically treat everybody of a particular type as the bad guy. Bottom line here is, you're the writer. You have control over the situation. If you want to explore the possibility that there might be a solution to the situation, now's the time to do it. You know, you can't just simply present a problem and say it's unsolvable. That's just chickening out, you know? That means that basically you're wasting everybody else's time and just simply presenting the exact same situation over and over and over and over again. That gets a little trite, a little bit boring, stereotypical, cliche, whatever word you want to use. And you should be better than that. You need to have some fun with your scenarios and you need to do it in such a way that, hey, it's unique. It has some fun. It has some flair. You know? You can't just simply do it over and over and over ad infinitum and expect nobody to call you on it. You need to have a little bit of variety in there. So, you know, the takeaway here is realize that everybody has flaws and you can't treat any particular group as better than any other group. Otherwise, you're just as much a part of the problem. 
you know, just because you think that, hey, this group's been in charge for all this time, let's put this other group in charge. No, that's not a good enough reason. Have the character have some sort of intrinsic leadership ability that you want to put in control. And we're not just talking a soap opera version where it's like, hi, I've got, I know your secret and I know your secret and you know your secret and if you don't do what I say, I'm letting everybody know those secrets. You know, let's get real. Uh, eventually you're creating a situation where those all those people are going to want to kill that one character. And you're going to have your audience asking why they haven't done it. So, have some fun with the situation. You're in total control. Well, mostly total control. You know? Especially if you have to be doing a comic. You're the writer. Figure out when you're doing the outline what the problem is and how to solve the problem. Even if it's just a temporary solution, once in a while those are actually great wins. But whatever you do, and I cannot emphasize this enough, do not introduce a greater problem than the one you're trying to solve. That's the whole point about me trying to point out the whole good intentions lead to dark, nasty places. Sometimes you'll want to do make this a really incredible point, and the way you'll end up doing it is by having a really dark end of it. And straight up, people are getting tired of the dark ends. If I have to point out how well Man of Steel did and it went incredibly dark, yeah, you're going to bring a bright burn. So, you know, occasionally, yeah, you want that dark ending. But people get tired of nothing but darkness. It's just something you need to keep in mind as a writer. Have some fun, bottom lining it. If you see a problem, figure out how to solve it. You've got a brain. Start impressing people with that brain. Please. That said, I hope this has helped somebody out there. If it has, please support the podcast at patreon.com slash two sparrows, T-W-O. And uh, I'll talk to you later. Have a good evening.